Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast, and I'm your host, Jane Portman. Today, we're starting a new series of interviews with amazing consultants who will share their secrets of client onboarding. This is dedicated to our new product, Client Onboard, which helps consultants interview new clients. You're welcome to sign up for updates at clientonboard.com. Today, our guest is Dennis Field. He's a great web designer, author, and the co-founder of the web consulting studio Greenline Creative and the online songwriting community Freddy. His passion is mentoring other designers to help them reach their goals. His blog is followed by hundreds of designers all over the world. He's currently working on his first book called The Designer's Handbook. So, hi, Dennis. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming. Excited to be here. Fantastic. So, before we start, I would love you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Can you please tell us what you're doing now and share some background, how you actually got to this point? Yeah. So, currently, I spend most of my time, you know, just mentoring designers, helping them, you know, navigate the industry in a way that, you know, gets them to reach their goals much faster than maybe if they were just kind of going at it on their own without a guide. Um, I still do a lot of a fair share of consulting as well, um, but my, my focus has leaned more towards that. Um, I started my career focused more on branding and somewhat traditional print work at a retail design firm um, where I worked on large clients like the NFL, Walmart, Target, and then, um, you know, kind of shifted into running my own design studio. And then, you know, kind of things evolved from there, from moving from just a small in-house, um, I guess you could say web studio to having an office to hiring freelancers, contractors, and, you know, getting larger clients all over the world. So it's kind of how I got to where I am today. So I also spent some time um, working at a San Francisco based UX firm or design web shop. <laughs> Sorry, we had to edit that, but a San Francisco based startup um, focused, you know, in Silicon Valley. So doing UX design. So now that's why I'm here today with um, more focus on the education aspect. Yeah, that's great. Uh, teaching as the best way to market your skills is certainly um, has proved very valuable for many people. Uh, and it's also probably a nice feeling just to be teaching people, right? Oh, I love it. It, it, it comes so natural to me. So I've been doing this type of thing um, for a lot of my career, but I haven't really set out to, and did it formally, I guess you said, you can say through, um, you know, a blog and stuff like that. But I've always spent time going back to universities and colleges and talking with, you know, seniors getting ready to graduate and kind of set the expectations. So it's nice to finally actually shape it into something a little bit more valuable than just on a local level. So That's great. Tell us about your book. How does that correlate with your teaching career? Yeah, so the book is... Um, just a, a, a number of ideas and thoughts and experiences that I have, not around the craft of design, because I feel like there's a lot of great resources for designers around craft um, and how to, you know, design a website or how to use Photoshop. But there's not a lot of great resources around, you know, what to expect from the industry. How do you navigate the industry? How do you set yourself up for opportunity? And, and how do you do it in a way that actually can create you real money? versus just kind of being positioned as just a designer, you know, in the mix. So it's really set to be kind of a high level view as to everything I've learned um, that 
obviously applies to other designers to give them a guide at any point in their career. They can kind of pop it open, you know, and see um, if I can offer any value. So like a handbook, I guess. That's great. Uh, do you share a lot of client stories with your uh, audience? Yeah, I absolutely love transparency. I feel like the more we can share the good, the bads, the uglies, the better everybody will be. Um, so obviously there's things that I, you know, I, I may not say an, an exact client name, obviously, but I, I do share my experiences. If you follow my blog, a lot of that's kind of the same tone. Like it, it's about being real. You know, I think the more we can be um, honest in, in our approaches and, and our stories, the more we can all learn. I think there's a level of like, you know, as designers, we have to be, you know, not perfect, but we always want to be, you know, we don't want to show our weaknesses, you know, and that's okay. I think, you know, I, I mean, I think there's a place for that, but I also feel like, you know, mentoring and, and, and showing your faults and saying, hey, this is where I started. Um, this is where I am today. And these are the, the pains that I went through, you know, we're, we've all been through it. So it's good to share that. So I like to be as transparent as possible. I'm sure that's something a lot of people value in online resources. So I'm sure you're going to have success with that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fun. It's um, I get a lot of a lot of the responses I get are, "Wow, it's like you're talking to me," or "You you experience the same thing as me," and that makes me feel like I'm I'm on the right mark. So fantastic. So let's get to our main topic of the conversation, uh, the client work, and uh, let's go back in time to your first days as a designer. How did it feel and who was your first client? Yeah, so I was super motivated for my first client. I um, it w I was kind of pivoting, I guess you could say I was ready to kind of do the consulting gig. And I really didn't know, I, I wouldn't call it consulting then as much as it was. I was ready to go out on my own and learn what it would be to, you know, maybe eventually, you know, build a build a studio. But I wanted to have my own clients and I wanted to manage all the process, the process of it. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I remember sitting down at my kitchen table with a monitor and a hard drive and creating my first folder that said clients and thinking, wow, would I ever fill this thing up, you know? And it was kind of an interesting like moment for me because I was like, I'm getting ready to set on my own. Um, that first client was, I actually quit my job for a, a $5,000 client. Um, kind of risky thinking back, but then I was like, you know, if I'm going to do it, now's the time to do it. Um, so it was a very, very small jump start. Um, it provided, um, you know, an income that, you know, I could make buy off of, you know, in, in the bare minimum, but it gave me an opportunity to get paid for something, but also put a lot of energy into one client. And then that's kind of snowballed. And that first, that first client was a pediatrician who was getting ready to start on her own, her own practice. Um, and because of, we put so much energy into that and delivered on such a high level, it just kind of helped that referral process along. And a lot of our business at that time was you know, doctors getting ready to go out on their own. So we would get a nice referral source of, you know, branding websites and stuff like that. Obviously, pricing and stuff changed through time, but, you know, it was a nice way to kind of get a good kickstart going. So that was kind of the first project. And the client was great. I mean, we, we did some really fun things there and um, very open to the design process. And it was really a nice freeing experience. It still sounds like you didn't really have a very slow start. You had like very rather high budget client right away not like you started in a garage doing like small gigs over a few hundred bucks <laughs> i was lucky for that one you know because when you're when you're starting off you're really focused on the you know what are you bringing in you know and 
and you you are too as you get more involved but you know i remember winning a project you know oh, six hundred dollars for this and you know and things started to get to that point where i remember looking back on the year and and seeing what i made in one year and i was like got a long way to go you know um but it was nice to kind of have that chunk of money now what we delivered for that price was ridiculous i mean it was a full website stationary branding um i mean the whole package so for that price it wasn't you know priced appropriately but you know, like I said, the value really was in getting something started and that, that I could put my name to and say, okay, this is the type of work we do. But yeah, you could say it was kind of a, a good project to kind of get kickstarted with, but they weren't all like that early on. That's great. At what point did you start calling yourself a consultant if you, if you did eventually? And was it like a quality shift in your career? From day one, I knew I wanted to set myself up to feel as much of as an agency or studio as possible. I never went at it and said, I'm a freelancer. And the reason was, is, you know, it's perception and, you know, working in small studios, you know, um, large companies. I mean, I noticed that a lot of it is how, how clients perceive you. And at the time, I mean, I, we weren't focused a lot on like the web, like, so pulling clients from, you know, all over the world. It was more like on a localized level, um, through our, our network, so early on, I, I never said, okay, we're consulting. I, I did try to position us with some type of value in a company. So I focused on the details. I made sure that, you know, every piece of our brand was touched in a way that somebody could look at it and go, okay, they, they're not just doing this in the afternoons. Like they're actually putting time into their presentations and stuff. And they're really trying to, you know, shape something that, um, is, is of quality. And I feel like I'm investing in a studio that's going to be, be by my side for a while. So I didn't, I guess I wasn't really saying I'm a consultant then, but I tried to position myself as that. I, I would say about two, probably four years ago is when I really started to look and see, okay, well, it was probably more like five years ago. I need to be seen more about, you know, this is the stuff that I can do on my screen. You know, this is the design as clients see it, but more as like, okay, this is the value we are bringing to a client. Like this is, we're bringing real value. And the minute you realize that, the minute you can start to say, okay, I'm, I'm doing more than just reacting to a client's needs. I'm actually consulting them, helping them um, move along and reach their goals in a more meaningful way. So that's probably when I really started to elevate that word. Did you employ any tangible deliverables that would differentiate you from a regular freelancer? Maybe did you use a special type of reports or uh, presenting your work in a special way? Yes, I did. I, I focused on making sure that at any point that I looked like a business. So whenever I would do like at the time I was just doing invoices, I used FreshBooks. Um, if any communication felt, you know, like it wasn't just coming from me, I actually, that's the reason why we chose a company name um, because we, I wanted to make sure it was more about less about me, more about an entity. Um, and the other things that I did, I mean, presentation is huge and I have a whole like course around that, but everything that we presented we presented, we, we would spend more time on our presentations than a lot of times some of the work because it's how you set it up. You know, like if with our clients, I never wanted to say, well, here's one, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that here's all your logos. Like we really guided mm -hmm. them through as to like what, what we were creating for them, making them understand and helping them understand, I guess, what we were going to deliver. Um, it's about not telling them what they see on paper, but telling them what you're created and showing them what it will be in the future. And that we just try to spend a lot of time on that. And I think that helped differentiate us a lot from the market. I'm glad to hear that it really worked. 
So did you make any mistakes back then? Anything specific you'd like, um, you probably wish you knew back then when you just started that could have kind of pivoted your career or yeah. helped, helped much better? Yeah, so I would say the heart, the, the biggest thing, and, and I think it pertains to, you know, the project um, client on board is really that validation. My goodness, we were taking stuff that I look back on and go, no wonder we didn't make any money off it. And why would we even <laughs> quote that? Like, why would we even spend the time on that? You know, and and it wasn't until you look back on things that you realize that, you know, yeah, for postcards, certain projects, there's just really not enough money that you can squeeze. You know, not that I'm in the business of squeezing money out of somebody, but there's not a lot of value to be seen in certain pieces of design, you know. So, for example, we were doing early on because I was more of a print focused, um, you know, person. Um, the web kind of came out of a need and, it, and obviously the, the trends in the industry and, and, you know, where we are today. But I focused a lot on like, oh, you know, I can do stationary packets. I can do um, print um, postcards. I can do all these things that really it's hard to make a lot of return on that. I mean, because they're going to provide you with a with some content, you know. And you're going to do your best to just make that look good on a postcard and maybe throw a concept or two in it. But there's, it's really hard to price it out, you know, because there's a, there's, to me, there's a, there's, well, what I found is there's a bottom line that somebody's willing to see what a postcard is worth, you know, um, <laughs> versus like what it really takes to do it. Same thing with a business card. It's like, if you tell them the value and you try to sell them on the value, they're going to look at it like, wow, it's just a business card to me. Like, I don't really need to go that far into it. And I don't need the custom stocks necessarily. And, you know, and those were early on. I mean, we were obviously, at, that was at the peak of the recession because that's when I didn't realize it. But that's when, you know, things kind of tanked and that's the time I took that risk. But so some of that may have to do with it. But ultimately, those are the types of projects today that I just don't. I don't even bother working on because there's just not enough there to, for somebody to feel that, to pay that, that, that premium price for. So, so yeah. validation uh, is important, I guess. That's right. That was one of my questions, actually. When you did hire uh, employers that were standing behind your back, did it uh, actually increase your criteria or did you be become more less selective or more selective about the clients? How did it influence you? Yeah. So the first, uh, you know, employer, I guess you could say that, you know, we, I brought on was, was Julie, like, and, and it was kind of a, it's, I look at it as a hire because we actually had to, you know, obviously we're going from having my income through, through green line and then, you know, another income, you know, through my wife, Julie, but you know, when you bring that in all under one company, I mean, you're kind of a hiring that, I mean, that's money you have to make up in a way. So that changed the way we positioned ourselves. But when it came to like freelancers and stuff, because we try to stay, and we, we do try to stay very flexible so we can put the right people in the in the right place. So I never really like said, okay, we're going to hire this person. We looked down at, and we, we, we were doing um, things like that and exploring those options. But to actually hire, um, it just made more sense for our business to just kind of do the freelancing gig. But it does change. Anytime you have to, you know, split up a pie, I guess you could say. Um, and, and even and even when you have partners, I think that's one of the hardest things is when you have a partner or, you know, in our case, a you know, husband and wife team, you know, it's easy to look and say, well, it's all one pot. But really, you know, Julie's time is Julie's time. My time is my time. And you have to build at it correctly. And And there's only a certain client who's going to see the value in having a team on their project. And that's okay. I mean, they're, 
there, there is a, a designer and a client for everybody, you know, and it's important to know who you are and what you want so you can price appropriately as well as validate appropriately. So yeah, you're going to go after, if you need more money to kind of go across your team, you're going to have to bump up your, your, your skill, your, your offerings as well as your, um, to get into a different, um, you know, price point, I guess you could say, and then into a um, different type of client because that kind of all happens all at once. So did you find yourself niching in or, on the contrary, broadening your scope? Yes. So we, when it happened, I can think of the exact day. So we were sitting there and we were like, we, we, we were running a lot of work actually out of our, our home office and even, you know, having um, interns and stuff. And, and that kind of starts to get a little weird, right? So we knew we wanted to invest in a, in a studio in downtown Columbus. Um, there's a great location and but we knew there was only a few ways to do that, right? You you either take on more projects, more clients are the same, you know, and that doesn't necessarily work because you're you're just doing more work. It doesn't provide you with enough return to, you know, you're just doing more work. It's kind of a trade-off, I guess. More clients, more work, but you're not really making more of a more you're not changing your bottom line much, you know? So we knew we had to do a complete brand overhaul. It stops saying we're the we're the agency we're the agency that's not like any other agency in the sense that you know we're we're we don't have the overhead. That was the big thing, you know. That's what we were saying, you know. But we do agency work without overhead. But then we realized that we do have overhead, you know. I mean, even even when we were working out of our home office, there's overhead, you know. But when we were going into an going to invest in a studio and take that next level to get clients that actually valued our work it was going to require getting up there and saying, okay, we are now an agency or a studio and, you know, those prices, everything about it will have to reflect that. Um, and with that, it completely like changed the type of clients who came through our website. Like positioning yourself is so important. So like the minute we flipped the switch on the new site at the time, it was, I almost kind of took pride in kind of positioning it in a way that would scare off some of the the clients we the types of clients we were getting, um, because the time to validate them. That's exactly what, what's needed sometimes. Yeah. Like you have to like take that hard stance because you're going to spend a lot of time when you're validating a client and, and it, sometimes you get to the end of it and you go, wow, that was a lot of wasted time. You know, even if that's through email, it's just like, wow, you get better at things. You kind of start to know what's, what the red flags are. Um, but we really tried to just eliminate as much of that as possible, you know, right from the get beginning with our brand and you just have to take that hard stance and then everything will uh, everything else starts to come out of it because if you're talking to a certain audience they're going to be attracted to you and if it's it's more um more of a profitable company you'll attract them naturally you know it's like a magnet you know and then um, your prices and everything reflect that so absolutely so what's your process of taking on new clients uh what do you do do you have like a special ceremony or process yeah, we do. So, you know, usually they come through referral. If they come through the site, you know, we pretty much can validate those. We, there's a lot of red flags, I think, some some standards that happen. You can tell when somebody's going through and just blasting every studio in town or all over the web to get their project done. And those are patterns that you can kind of recognize. Usually those we, you know, we kind of just do a small reach out and I never like to not reach out to somebody that's like the worst thing you can do you know at least even if you're busy let them know you're busy but you know what we do with those is we just simply run them through kind of a quick high level hey this is 
see what you're interested in. And this is what we have, you know, and this is kind of how things roughly break down. But once we validate, you know, their budget more or less, like in what they're trying to do and make sure that, okay, at least we know they, they have some more stake in this other than I just want something to be pretty, you know, um, then we start going into, okay, let's set up a time to sit down and, um, talk more about your goals and then see if, you know, we can actually be a fit. And that could be a phone call. That could be a meeting. So it just depends on the type of clients and how many people are involved. And then from there, you know, you just kind of continue to validate, but I, I, I preferably love to have like a really clear scope. And even if that's like subject to change, but a really clear, like, first round scope before we put together proposals. But yeah, so it's usually just kind of running them through a quick funnel of, you know, based on like that level of entry. So if it starts usually like just validating high level, like, do you really understand if you say a logo, I don't just create logos, I create brands. And how does that, how does that stuff reflect to their, you know, how do they see that price point? So yeah, I don't create logos ever because <laughs> yeah. it's just a painful, painful process of putting those four logos on a single sheet of paper and trying to sell it. That's impossible. Exactly. Well, it, again, it's like there's that threshold that it's so hard because they look at it and go, it's just a logo. And it's like, well, you see it as just a logo. So I've, and that was strategically used even early on is never using the word logo in, in focusing more on a brand. Because with brand, we're talking logo the whole, the whole package, you know, I mean, we, we offer, you know, the whole strategic aspect of branding and what, what, what that consists of, you know, from tone of voice and, you know, all the, all the concepts that go around that. So it's a little bit, they start to see beyond, okay, this is a tiny logo. Like we're talking about an ecosystem. We're talking about how this is going to work in print and how do you, you know, how does this all resonate and, and, and what does it mean for your, for your customers and stuff. So um, it changes the perception and it also scares off those who just like, I just want a logo, you know, and that's fine. You can just get a logo, um, but it's hard for us to just do logos. It's like almost impossible because I, because <laughs> I'm like trained to do this process that I learned through, you know, my days at, in, in, you know, working with large clients. And it's like, I can never break that. Like, even if somebody says, Hey, can you, can you just do me a quick logo? It's like, I, I can't break that quick logo like process. Like there's no quick logo. And once that's like ingrained as a process, it's like, I'm just giving away time at that point. I'm giving away value and it's just, it's just not good. So same thing with like posters and stuff. It's all that t- same type of thing. I mean, I'll do some gig stuff, gig posters every now and then, but usually that's, I do that and chalk that up to just experience and fun. But it's hard to just say, okay, I can price this poster out for your event, you know, because it's, there's nothing, there's not enough there. Being a designer by trade, how far do you go discussing business details with clients? We just mentioned that branding issue, but there's plenty more. Like, do you ask for revenue numbers and are they willing to discuss it with you? Yeah, I, I, I generally do. And I think this starts getting into building that trust and stuff is, I go in and I try to be very, once I know they're like serious and they say, well, I know I really love your work and we, we, we see the value you've done with client exit, you know, that, that immediately kind of, you know, you're kind of working with somebody who sees it. So I'm not afraid to ask them, well, if the big thing I always use as a big example is somebody usually comes to us with a solution, right? Generally a potential client's going to say, I need a website, I need a logo, or I need this or whatever. But you have to go deeper than that. Like you have to ask them like, why, why do you feel like you need a website? And usually that starts to open up things. Um, with some of the clients we've done, we found that 
the website really wasn't what they needed. They just needed to consider some different processes internally, you know, and yeah, maybe a microsite. So I like to try to, I'm not afraid to go into the, the details as much as possible. I mean, I try, I obviously there is a, a, a point where you can tell like, eh, that's probably not my wheelhouse. But at the same time, like I think, you know, a couple of years ago, it was really quick for everybody to just say, we need websites because, you know, they weren't seeing the numbers converting because the economy may have been down and they're just jumping to the fact that, oh, we haven't touched our website in, in 10 years, you know? You know, yeah, definitely a website's going to help, you know, if it's 10 years old. But, you know, what can you do immediately? And that's what I try to focus on. Like, what can we do today that it starts affecting your numbers? Because, you know, and some of that's just sometimes just free advice, you know, I'll give away um, in a proposal, in a meeting, you know, just to kind of show them that I, I'm, I'm trusting and I'm not here to, you know, make this about money, but I'm here to make this about, you know, creating great solutions and, and making sure that they see the, that value in hiring us. That makes fantastic sense. Um, how do you approach the process of uh, giving estimates, uh, writing proposals? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I used to do estimates. I used to think, oh, a nice shiny piece of you know paper that gets sent over to them or whatever. But I found like the minute minute you start doing estimates, you know, in the traditional sense, you start getting the well, what if we take this out? Everything becomes line itemed. Um, I'll still send an estimate in the sense that here's what you're going to get. So they have like a paper trail, obviously, but it's usually attached with a, like a proposal. What I found that works best for us like today is a, it's usually about 10 pages or so. And it's just kind of an outline of like an overview, you know, goals, what we're going to deliver on, um, none of that's line itemed. Like, it's not like, you know, this amount of time is going to be, you know, X amount of dollars for, you know, hooking up the content management system. It's just showing you what's included with a, with a, a dollar, a, a price point. And then that's a whole separate proposal. But then there's a whole nother piece that is just timeline, you know, and that's when we look at how does this break down across the length of a project. And this is where it gets fun because now they see the value in what we're delivering Then they, ha then they start focusing clearly on the way things are structured from a, uh, a, a payment, I've called it a payment process, but you know, they see how this breaks up across the month and then they go, well, that's not really all that bad. And we can then start talking to them about all different alternatives like, well, and we can do this, you know, in, an, in a way like um, billing weekly, you know, however we want to structure things depending on the needs, you know, of their project and, and timeline and stuff. But I like to really show them like visually how much work and how much time is, is into something, you know, when they see you know, six months and they see how that breaks out and what we're going to hit every month. Not only do we have time now to like clarify scope a little bit more, they can start to see the amount of work that's put into it. And I always include what's, what needs to be done on their end to make sure we hit, but hit timeline and stuff. So. Absolutely. Do you use uh, questionnaires at any point before or after your live chat to collect data from the client? Not in a like formalized way. When I do meet with them about like like branding and stuff, I, I do. And that's usually I'm asking them questions like, you know, what types of brands resonate with you? Like I always try to get them thinking Like as designers, we take for granted that we can look at something and break it down and say, okay, that's what modern looks like, you know, or that's what vintage chic looks like or whatever. With with clients, you kind of have to guide them through that process. So the questionnaires for like branding would be like, you know, what are your, obviously, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? You know, who's your audience? But then I try to get into some of the look and feel and not 
because I want that to dictate what I do. It just gives me a frame around of, of reference. You know, it gives me an idea as to like what they envision as their brand. Not that I'm going to do what they want, but it gives me a clear understanding of where I need to be, you know, and where my starting like starting point should or shouldn't be. And what it also does is it gets them involved in the process. So I may say, well, you know, what kind of computer do you use? If they say, well, I use a PC, or if they say I use a Mac, you know, that that is clearly two different types of feels. You know, I, I'll say, where do you shop? Where do you like to get your clothes? Where do you, you know, things that starts to get them thinking about what they like and don't like in taste because it does me no good to completely show them something that's not anywhere near what they're thinking. Um, not that I deliver exactly on that because then it comes down to the actual, you know, what are the goals um, for the project, but at least gives me a starting point. Thank you for sharing that. That's certainly very helpful because it's all these intangible things we are tackling being a designer it's very hard to verbalize and especially hard to gather that from a client. Yeah, yeah. And and what it really does is it voids that moment when you go round one and you put it down and they go, I don't even like a modern font, you know? Whoever's making that decision, a lot of times they're just, they're making that decision with design around their own subjective opinions. Yes, they, they have respect to the end goal but they're usually going to go i just don't like that font you know and then you get in this battle of like trying to talk them into that font where i i try to avoid the little battles and focus on like the big battles because i think that's where the that's where the value really is like if i'm off on my font for around one but i can hit i hit them on the tone and where we're going um on a high level it's it's a it's a win it starts conversation at that point it doesn't become a, a back and forth discussion around should it be this type of red or this type of font you know so that's right how many how many versions do you present to your clients i present um one kind of brand um, one to two brand concepts so like what this means what this tone is and then if if you do branding you know there's a number of different ways to execute on that brand from a logo standpoint so and that i may just kind of throw you know, two to three kind of um, logos that reflect how that brand could look. And that's what I've learned through time is like way, the way people see logo is just tiny, you know, these little logos, but these little logos make up something much <laughs> bigger, you know? So you have to show them what that big thing is. And then you break down, you know, a few logo options. And then you, you start to kind of break things down a little bit more and, and more new. And then with web, you know, that's kind of a little bit different when it comes to concepts because you're, you're really looking at more. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great layouts that are already proven layouts, you know. Um, it more still comes down to, okay, what's that brand that lays on top, you know. So I, that's kind of a little bit different process. Like we'll present design boards in that realm and we present, a, you know, a handful of those, you know, two or three of those. Like this is kind of how things could look. Even then I try to push them into more of a brand discussion, you know, because I think that's when things have, it always has to start at the brand. That's totally true. That's totally true. It's really hard to have a discussion around like changing your website's look, feel when, you know, you, you haven't discussed like the brand part of it because you're there, there, everything is so interlocked nowadays. Strategy for websites different, you know, because it, it, it goes beyond look and feel, you know, and I think that's the biggest, biggest miscommunication is, having that discussion with your client early on that 
just changing the look of your website does not mean you're going to change your bottom line and, and at all, you know, I mean, it has an impact obviously, but we have to talk strategy. We have to talk about how are you converting and where, what's not working and how does this website affect the bigger picture, you know? So it all, it's never just a, yeah, I just need a new website design, you know? So, and that's when you can easily, easily in that early, um, you know, onboarding, ask those questions early on and you'll start to get the, I'm not sure. I've never done this before. And then you, then you start to get into the discussions that are like less about, I just need this website more than like, this looks like it's involved, you know? And then that's when you, <laughs> you, you have a much clearer idea who you're working with. So. Is there any advice you'd like to give other consultants about client onboarding? How can they make it faster and smoother and less painful? Yeah, the the red flags, like I had a blog post where I just kind of talked about the red flags. Like if early on you don't know the red flags because you're just excited for an email to come in on Friday saying, hey, I want to work with you. That's a success. But if you're having a really tough time getting somebody nailed down for like a meeting or a call, that means in my mind and, and through my experience, they're going to be really tough to hit those deadlines and hold themselves accountable. Either they're just too busy to take on a project at this time. Um, it's nothing ever personal, you know, but there's a limit to where you have to feel like um, you're giving them every bit of your time. It's a two way kind of process. Like they have to be held accountable and, and so do you. So making sure that they kind of respect your time. And that means if they're canceling a lot or doing things that make it hard to even have that first initial meeting, it's probably a red flag. If they come to you saying, Hey, my, I, I will get this every now and then this one always cracks me up, but it's like, Hey, my developer, or my designer just left, you know, we were working on the project and they just bailed on it. That's a huge red flag because yes, there's instances where things don't go good. And you know, you're, you, you, you kind of have to let go of a client, but most of the time, somebody is has it in them if they're willing to take money and work on a project with somebody to at least see through their part of it, and then have the discussion to say we're no longer going to work together. If they bail in the middle of a project, there's more there than just this client, designer developer just isn't held accountable or isn't isn't a value. It, it's they've there's something with the client that may be a little askew. So. Another kind of red flag. So just looking at the red flags early on and knowing what you're really p- focusing your time on. Validating clients that aren't, aren't willing to, to see the value is just wasted time. So and those are good to just let them know that you're not taking on any projects or whatever you need to do to kind of derail that. And those cases that you mentioned, they're usually followed up by something. Can we start tomorrow? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's the other third. Real, the the third one that um, is is always big. You know, oh, you need this. You know, we're working on we're working on the an event, and we need this. You know, tomorrow. Yeah, and I've learned. I, I and I'm guilty. Everybody's guilty of saying, "Yeah, I'm slow right now. I can crank that out." But I've really found that time is time. It. it it, there's no, you can't make up time, you know, like I think it's no matter how fast you work. And we used to do this. You used to make it, we used to make exceptions around our websites and our branding work and say, okay, it's only going to be, we could probably do it in two months or so. Cause that, or one month, because that's, that was like a lot of times that early work was, and even still, but um, a lot of the early stuff was, you know, we were working against a timeline of a grand opening for an office. Okay. So you have a timeline where they need to have things launched. So they'll come to us two weeks out and say, we're getting ready to open our practice next in two weeks. Can you get us a website? And then you're like, 
I can get you a small website, but, and maybe I can get that up, you know, but I learned that it still takes time because there's still client feedback. There's still all these variables that you aren't even, it doesn't even, it affects you, but it's not even your responsibility that still have to be done. Just the approval process sometimes on a project, depending on the price point, can take weeks just to get the initial deposit to begin. So it's like the two weeks, three weeks, those just don't work. I mean, everything pretty much, you know, obviously, unless it's very clear and cut for us is usually four to six months out, you know, plus we can then uh, manage our um, client flow and stuff better too. We know what we're working on with the schedule. So. Yes. I'm guilty as charged because we are all born to help people with their problems. Yeah. And whenever anybody comes up with a problem, it's so hard to say no. Yeah. You feel bad. If it's a big problem. <laughs> exactly. You feel bad. Like, Oh my gosh, I just got bailed on and I got this website that needs to go up to like next week. Can you just help me quickly get it up? And then you realize what mess you might be dealing with once you agree to doing it, you know? I mean, that's, that's the same thing with spec work and free work. And, you know, it, that's a whole nother debate, but in discussion, it's just like, you know, time, you can't speed up the clock. Like I, I used to think I just work faster and a, and it just doesn't happen. I've got a number of clients where we we did that early on and we just wore ourselves right out, you know, and burned you out and it just isn't always healthy. So it's best to just avoid those. And it's not because you're putting somebody else because I think we feel guilty too because we don't want to put that on somebody else's shoulders, you know, as another designer. But like I said, there's always a designer f- for every client. There are designers who would benefit from projects like that, that are just, you know, need to get in and get out. Like that's why we don't really do a lot of maintenance work because that tends to be a little less, um, it tends to be kind of last minute sometimes. And, you know, it's hard to kind of put together a good, it's hard to structure maintenance work. So I like to look at that more of a monthly consulting thing versus maintenance, you know, on a website. So. Yes. So is there anything else you'd like to add that could make life easier for those people who are listening to us? those consultants? Yeah, respect early on your value and really think about how are you how is your design and your ideas, your concepts really helping a business. I wish I knew that going into it, you know, cuz I think I was young, I was like, yeah, I just want to create great design and I just looked at it everything as a design piece. You know, I want it to look good. I want to help clean up the world with all the bad design, you know, all the bad websites for doctors. And and that, that gives you a nice motivation, but that doesn't make you a lot of money. You need to be comfortable with having strategic discussions with your clients and understand what they what they need from you. So you can go into those and have those hard conversations with confidence and see, and it's a lot easier to sell yourself, you know, because you, they want you want to be seen as a partner. You don't want to be seen as an expense. So. That's the biggest truth I, I've ever applied to my own business, too. So thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. No problem. So, Dennis, please tell us, what are you planning for your next big thing? Well, right now, the next thing I'm working on is a portfolio workshop. I just kind of started teasing it with a landing page last week. The response has been really great. Um, working on kind of that course. Um, it, it'll be just like a five-day online crash course on um, creating a creating a portfolio online that actually attracts the types of clients that you want to work with. So that's the big thing that I'm doing, focused on right now, as well as the book. So I'll really 
exciting things that I think will help. Uh, uh, hopefully, will do great things for the design industry as a whole, but will help a lot of handful of designers as well. So, it's so enjoyable to listen to you speak about that because you're obviously having that passion in teaching and sharing your insight. Uh, that's that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing and coming today. No problem. Thank you. So, Dennis, uh, can you please tell us where people can find you online? Yeah. So you, you can find me um, on Twitter, Dennis underscore field. Um, you can find me on my website, IamDennisField.com, my blog, blog.IamDennisField.com. And then my book landing page, you can get to from, you know, any of those actual places. So. so thanks very much. Thank you for sharing your insight today. And I hope to have you as a guest one more time eventually. That'd be great. Thanks, Jing. I appreciate it. Amazing. Have a lovely day. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, yes. This was an amazing conversation. Dennis has such a treasure chest of advice for all of us. And what's more important, he's so willing to share. Stay tuned for more interviews like this. Please search iTunes for UI Breakfast or go to uibreakfast.com slash podcast, or you can sign up for updates at clientonboard.com. This was your host, Jane Portman. You can find me on Twitter at uibreakfast. Thanks for being with us and have a lovely day.